Hello everyone, welcome to Intimate Animation, brought to you by the online animation magazine Squiggly.com. This series covers animation that takes on adult themes of love, relationships, and sex. So steal yourself as there's some frank discussion ahead. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 2 of season 2 of Intimate Animation. From Squiggly Online Animation Magazine. This is Ben Mitchell, and I'm joined by Laura Beth Cowley. How's it going, Laura Beth? I'm all right, thank you. You sound a bit ill. Uh, it's just a little earlier, I think, than usual. Usually, we do this in the in the late afternoon, evening. Late afternoon, like midnight. <laughs> yeah, this is my morning voice, which actually sounds a little bit more late night, throaty, sultry. Fits the tone of the uh, of the series. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell by your chuckles of derision that you agree with me. So, what have we been up to since the last episode? Any news? Any updates? Any? I've been helping a friend who's making a film about a sex doll. Fair enough. I it's not it. about a sex doll. It just has a sex doll in it. But obviously, my brain's just like, it's about a sex doll. Then. Well, you should make it about the sex doll. Is that your main? Yeah, sort of basically. Okay. Well, when do you think we'll see the fruits of this endeavor? Mm, hopefully, this summer. I think. Cool. Well, when we see uh, the sex doll film doing the rounds and uh, picking up awards hither and yon, we'll know who to thank. I think because there hasn't really been a huge amount of, like, sex animation hijinks happening since uh, episode one, we might sort of barrel more into who we're talking to in this episode. Although, I suppose we could talk about... I mean, it's it's subjective, I guess. It's a little bit open to interpretation, but uh, have you seen Kirsten Lepore's film has been going crazily viral this week? I'd, I've seen it about, but I haven't paid attention to how it's been doing. I didn't realise it had been... Well, it's at the point where it basically, I think she put it out on Tuesday or Wednesday. And so it's already at the point where, like, Facebook pages are reposting it with, like, a caption. And this one here is viral thread. Have you oh, just reposted this? Um, and this one's got 46 million views. Hell. <laughs> so, you know, and that's sort of climbing. And that's just one Facebook post. It the, is very clickable, like, because it doesn't... The character doesn't then go off and do anything. He just sort of sits there and smolders through it. So really easily clickable. It's You kind of want to be like, what is gift. this guy's story? Yeah, he's kind of one up from a gif. Mm. Like, it's he doesn't really do much, but he's just kind of unnerving. Yeah, you, you want to sort of invest... Like, it's this kind of thing that, like, oh, is this going to get creepy? Is this going to get scary? <laughs> I love this viral thread. Animation by Kristen Lepore. Of f***ing <laughs> idiots. What bugs me about that is, like, in the, the first comment is from the same people who posted it, then crediting her properly. Credit her properly in the f***ing post then, dipshit. You can edit it. Whenever a, a non-animation forum or Facebook page or something posts... You know, a weird animation, something that you or I would be quite familiar with. It uh, it's always interesting because then you really do get this firsthand, this this unique look at how the rest of the world sees our humble little industry. And sometimes it's it's you know encouraging. Sometimes it's disappointing. Shall we do a little roulette thing, or uh, you could do this as like a drinking game? Let's see how far I have to scroll before I get someone saying, "WTF did I just watch?" <laughs> that old chestnut. I mean, there's a recurring theme in a lot of these comments, like mostly along the lines of "This is really weird." 
But generally speaking, the uh, the comments are sort of positive. I think it's like people who sort of took the plunge and are glad that they did. You know, I got mixed emotions. LOL, he was creepy, but sweet. I'm confused on how to feel. Oh, here we go. Daniel Morton. What the f*** did I just watch? Thank you, Daniel. You're the bon vivant of the Facebook comment community. Email squiggly.co.uk for your award. I think that this is clearly not a sexual film. Certainly not any kind of explicit sense. Apart from the fact that the guy's kind of naked and he's got a very rosy butt. But it's sort of a, a love film, I'd say. Kind of flirty. Flirty, yeah, I guess that's fair enough. It's like life-affirming. It's it's sort of very positive energy. It's a bit like that trend, I think, in like the 80s where like you could get like hypnosis cassette tapes. It's like, you're a wonderful person. Mm. People like listening to you. You're a, you know, that kind of thing. He looks like he's made of marzipan. Uh, well, if you go onto squiggly.co.uk, she actually explains how she made him. Uh, there's an interview with Kirsten that uh, I put up around the time that she put up the video. Is it silicon? Uh, n- no, it's uh, clay. Polymer clay. Because she wanted it to be shiny, like you just said. She wanted the, uh, the shininess, the skin look. She says in the interview that she wanted it to be silicon, but that would have taken too much time and money with the uh, deadline. So what this film was for was the uh, second late night work club. And this was like the last film in that. And a couple of people, I think, I think Nicholas Maynard put up his film as a standalone thing as well earlier in the week, which not to be smutch Kirsten or any of the others, but I think Nicholas's was my personal favorite. I think that one's the one, and we've definitely talked about that one before on uh, at least the other podcast. That's the one that reminded us sort of both of George Dunning in some respects. Anyway, we'll be hearing from all of the, well, most of the people involved in the Late Network Club uh, anthology, which is called Strangers. Uh, there's going to be a podcast special about uh, how that all came together, and that'll feature a slightly longer version of the Kirsten Lepore interview that went up on the site a couple of days ago. But yeah, she talks a bit about like the hows and the whys, and as you had pointed out, I hadn't clocked it, but at the time, because you had been following the progress of the... Uh, second late night work club anthology and when they put out like a teaser trailer there was a clip that says and, and Kirsten the Paul is on board but the clip is wildly different it's not this guy in this room it was someone coming into it a room like a couple coming into a room and sort of looking around like they're buying a flower or something yeah so I talk we talk a little bit about why it's different and what the status of whatever that was mm. is so uh yeah so there's a little tease if we're going to be talking about teaser how is Kirsten doing? I haven't heard much about her for a while. As she says in the interview, this was in the written piece, right now she is working on an animated feature, or she is working on animated segments of a feature. Basically, she said all she could say is that she's the animation director of an independent feature. Um, so she's doing pretty well. She said, uh, this was a couple of months ago that I actually talked to her, but she said she was very excited about it. She's definitely also, I think, going to be on Cloud9 for a while because of that adventure time that went on TV yeah. about a year ago. I think it was last January. Uh, but that, like, at the time, people went ape shit for. Like, it yeah, was, that's, you know. a, that's a good job to have landed. I mean, if we're going to talk about animation about love, have we talked about Bottle yet? No. Yes, maybe. I don't know. I'm sure we must have mentioned it, I mean, as a recent example. But that's a really nice one. Yeah. It's not, uh, again, it's, it's love rather than sex but it's i think quite sweet or you know it's like an epistolary friendship i guess slash love story 
but instead of sending letters to one another, they send like little bits of bric-a-brac. One's a little sort of snow mound, and the other is a a little Sandman woman. Yeah, <laughs> gender ambiguous sand sculpy. Oh no, the sand is a boy, isn't it? And it's the snow that's a woman because the snow gets like little shells and he puts them on like a little bra. Is it? The, oh yeah, I remember the little shell bra now. Is that the sand or the snow? Let's check well, it out. Well, no, because it has to be the snow because the sand would have had to send the, sh- the shells because the snow wouldn't have had shells. I see. He gets a little cone. That's right. I remember now. I should I should know this better. I read about it in my book. Mostly in the book we talk about uh, Move Mountain because Bottle, I think, was a student film. But yeah, Move Mountain's another one worth checking. She's just a really quite tremendous filmmaker. It's just really nice to see her carrying on doing indie stuff. And as she does... Oh yeah, here is the snow woman with the uh, little shell boobies. And as she says, you know, uh, it's something that I think she'd like to keep stoked as, alongside her commercial work as long as she has like deadlines, and that was why Late Night Work Club was such a good fit. But yeah, look up Late Night Work Club... Strangers and Ghost Stories was the first one from about four years ago. You know, they're both like 45 minutes long, just these animation collections, and some of them have, you know, films that had real mileage on their own, like Alex Griggs was a big mm. success, I think, from the first one. And Well, it's just a really nice concept for a way to get what are essentially like really big names, but within the independent world together to make films, and they kind of, well, they were a huge inspiration in me and my friends forming our own collective and even though we're like we're pre what would be like ghost stories we're, we're sort of going down the same bent of like making films themed around a subject but we're kind of working on rather than us all working on one independently we're all directing one independently and then smushing them together and then well no like we're all working on each other's basically it's a real collaboration because I mean, the collective is also built around the fact that one of us is quite a good designer, one of us is quite a good director, and one of us can write a contract. I can do. <laughs> one of us can write a contract or two, um, but can also animate. But we can also all animate. So it's nice to have, like, complementary skills. Yeah. I think that's great. I think that any kind of collective mentality... Because, like, with Late Night Work Club, it's about, okay, I want to make this by a certain deadline. I don't want to let the others down, you know. But when it's, like, what you've just sort of outlined, if you've actually sort of formed almost kind of like a mini-production unit, that's also quite a nice sort of motivational thing. Certainly, yeah, it's it's good if you're sort of part... I mean, I've been sort of tinkering away at a film that, you know, it would be, like, a little bit here, a little bit there, like, once every few weeks. But I think that... I basically I've just been kind of harnessing you as a producer and you've kind of I've set most of the collective with me as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just draining your resources. So. <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's a you know it's a nice way of um feeling motivated like I've I've said before festival deadlines are another good one if you really want to get into a certain festival yeah. aim to you know get it done by their call for entry deadline. But yeah, just also knowing that there are other people in on the project and wanting it to sort of get done, I think, is a nice thing. What's also nice about the Kirsten the Poor film, uh, the High Stranger film, is that the guy who does that voice, that very kind of was the guy that she made, like, probably her first big, like, hit film with. It was, like, another viral film about ten years ago. And it was, a, I think, a BA film with this guy called Garrett Davis, who's also in the book a little bit. 
So it's kind of nice that they've, after 10 years of doing their own things in between, it's kind of bookended this yeah. quite crucial chapter in both their careers by working together. So yeah, there'll be a lot more about that film and the whole nature of Late Night Work Club in the next episode of Independent Animation, which will be soon, I hope. I was going to put it out early in the year, and then I was going to put it out to time with a public screening we're doing, but that's now not happening, I think, until June, so I figured I'd just put it out now, because I've had these interviews in the chamber for a while, and some nice stuff there. So, look out for that. Anywho, going from that to um, our guest for this episode, now this is a film that has uh, more literary roots, I guess, more, uh, more cultural roots. It's a classy film. So this was as part of a, a Shakespeare celebration event, like for the 400-year anniversary of like his death, was it? Or his birth? And birthday. Birthday, okay. I think. I don't know. Birthday or death day. It, it, it was a while ago. A celebration of 400 years of Shakespeare there, done. Shakespeare, generally speaking, I don't think many people regard as being particularly um, saucy. But actually, he was sort of known for crowbarring in or even inventing i'm sure a lot of kind of euphemisms and stuff like there was you wouldn't really notice it i think if you read it with just sort of a contemporary vernacular but i i do remember it coming up quite a bit like the sort of euphemisms and the double entendres and stuff that would have been considered quite racy in the day but is just sort of mainly meaningless now unless you look at the footnotes like oh okay so i guess there are certainly um undercurrents of sexual themes and uh, some that are more kind of direct so yeah as part of this initiative called still shakespeare there were some animation films commission two of which uh, were made by mulab now mulab are uh, essentially a two-person operation that uh, we've definitely had on squiggly in the past they did a, an interesting installation film that you and i saw just as a projected film called the evening her mind jumped out of her head mm. And we played that at the uh, Manchester Animation Festival, I think, uh, as part of our showcase. And that was a really nice sort of idea. I think initially the original version of it was projected against buildings, and so different characters would sort of occupy different spaces on this assortment of buildings. Um, so that element obviously didn't really come through in the film version. It's really just white line animation on black. But it's still quite nice. They use, I think, a sort of similar spatial composition with the film version and it's about a woman who i guess is on a train with a bunch of sort of irritating fellow commuters and is there a cow on the rails or something stops the train and basically it's them sort of all passing the time in their heads and at one point her brain just sort of gets too bored and just pops out of her skull it's a nifty fun little film i know we both quite enjoyed it and i think we're both sort of fans of that style which i would tentatively attribute more to sean clark who is the guy and the woman who we'll be talking to is kim noche but they both did films for uh this still shakespeare initiative sean's film which looks a lot more like the style of the evening her mind jumped out of her head was based on othello and it's called neck and neck and both of them were played at encounter i'm pretty sure both of them played at encounters because i'm sure i've seen neck and neck as well othello would be um a Shakespeare play I would more immediately kind of associate with sexual themes because it was always kind of about, I think it was like a sort of extramarital element to it. And I think Othello was the one there where the beast with two backs came from as an expression. If Mr. Lyons taught me right, I think that that's the right one. So this is the trailer. You can see what I mean about it being more like 
Yeah. Like the way the, yeah, that sort of like noodle neck, like swaying back and forth. That's kind of a big part of... The line work on black, really. Yeah. That makes it very... But also the design and the... Yeah, it's kind of creepy. Yeah. So another film that they did that was directed by Kim Noche, and this is called Love and Idleness, and this one's based on A Midsummer Night's Dream. And uh, this is charcoal on paper, and I would say perhaps a little more explicit. It's not subtle, (laughs) we can say that much. Yeah, no, it's quite matter-of-fact about the storyline, really. And this is about the relationship between Tishiana and Bottom, the chap with the uh, chap who ends up with a donkey head that he can't get off, if I remember correctly. Um, but this sort of becomes a. Essentially, it becomes this Oedipal, almost sexual encounter. Um, Oedipal and bestial, I would say. And Shakespearean on charcoal. Um, so, yeah, it's quite an experience, this film, I thought. So, anyway, we're talking to Kim Noche in this episode from Mew Lab. Shall we hear from her? Yeah. So, can you tell us and our audience a little bit more about the uh, Shakespeare project and how you and Sally Harden came to work together? The way it started is actually started with Film London. And uh, Film London contacted a few different companies around London proposing uh, this uh, potential collaboration with King's College mm-hmm. and uh, the PhD of Sally Barden and uh, they just put a call out uh, and uh, I and a few other animators actually um, reply from uh, what was once the, the font of Film One and Film Club production and uh, in collaboration with uh, Film with, Think, with Film London, uh, uh, Film Club production and uh, King's College, we got in touch with Sally and we had the first few sessions where we actually just spoke more about the visual role of Shakespeare imagery in uh, the contemporary society. So that's actually a little bit how I started more than anything. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so in your, in your film for the project, you focus more on the relationships with Tiziana and Bottom. Um, yes. On the film website, you go into quite a lot about what the relationship represented to you. Uh, but can you tell me a little bit more about why you felt drawn to Tiziana in the first place, in particular over some of the more vivid and larger-than-life characters that are in Midsummer Night's Dream? That's a little bit comes um, from uh, Sally. Okay. Um, PhD because uh, in a way she presented us with a series of uh, four to five images which we would pick and elaborate the theme and now um, the images portray Shakespeare play and they elaborated onto that so in a way she she shows for Ophelia which is the classic example for a moment that is never described in the play but appear and then uh, the images of Titania the famous uh, some of the famous paintings from the 18th centuries and some of the famous visual imagery from the 70s. So it, it was like within this selection of visuals that Sally gave us and with like a really lovely historical background, I picked Titania. I was actually into mind between Ophelia and Titania because mm-hmm. Ophelia is kind of quite there to my heart for a very long time and done quite a few work on Ophelia. But I really always like love the anthropomorphism of animals and that kind of playfulness. But Titania was... The, uh, the chosen subject by Sally on that element, but I was very happy just to take it on. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and within that, the the film itself deals with femininity, particularly sexuality and motherhood. Was Sally 
influential in that decision to take it down that way, as well as obviously the play's story? I don't think we ever express it directly, because all uh, the introduction we had were rather formal, were PowerPoint presentation, with big screenings, and like that. I, I, I do think Sally has got that kind of intention and direction, but it was never expressed directly. Mm-hmm. And I think in the visual imagery that she picked, they, they do really good towards that direction. And I think it was just a meeting of two similar minds on that element. <laughs> So you used uh, like a charcoal technique, which is a very bold choice of animation, and it brought like a really nice quality to the film. Can you tell me how you felt this improved or highlighted your thought process of the story and the characters and why it was such a good fit? It is quite interesting because I was going through a lot of different phases trying to um, explore different type of techniques that I wanted to use. And initially I wanted to use a mixture of live action and um, clay mask and just um, having some for bottom I wanted to, to have someone to wear a constant clay mask that could animate and change and for Titania would be paper mask that would change but then I suddenly realized apart budget cost which is sometimes one has really to yeah. think about <laughs> but also I suddenly realized I would really torture someone to be on that mask covered completely of clay for several hours a day non-stop <laughs> and possibly naked so I was yeah. looking at other ways to actually how I could use the metamorphoses and the changes and there's also a sort of the budget was not one of the highest that you could could have and as well the time scale was rather tight on a certain element and so I wanted something that I really could quickly play with and change and change my mind and go possibly as well to the process I was going looking at the play, which I didn't know very much of the play in depth at the beginning. And I was really actually, from Sally work, I started to become curious and looking more at the at the play, the way she would have looked at and developing my own opinion. And so that's part of retracing, deleting, cancelling. was also part of the process I was going through. And it was something really quick and something that it wouldn't make it too polished because mm-hmm. I was kind of scared that I would just make it just almost too polished. And I think the emotion that ran in there was really raw and quite strong and conflicting. So in in a way, I forced myself to do something that is much less polished, that put me a little bit on the spot. Sometimes the animation is not very much... It's quite hard to control when you're just under the camera. And I didn't even, I was stupid actually, I didn't even drag on frames. So I really did it blindly, the full things, which is not very oh, clever. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not very clever at all, <laughs> you know. And, and the most funny things as well is that on that time I realized that I actually need glasses. So I could I keep on swearing at the camera that was out of focus, but was actually my my eyes so the full <laughs> process was rather funny and uh, kind of rather personal and I wanted to go back to a personal feeling and a more tactile element and letting go of having things being polished which I think I definitely success I had success on that it's definitely not polished that film <laughs> and um and lastly, it's like I was thinking because I was thinking about like, okay, I have to do the interview. I really have to sound clever. Okay, let's think about things. But I was actually thinking if I really have to look back, my two most strong influences are Van Meyer and um, William Kentridge. 
and it's like between these two ideas, it was so obvious actually. I always go between these two artists that they really look at work from a different angle, from a metaphorical angle, always working with a message to come across. And I thought that was the perfect technique and as well homage yeah. to some of the artists I love on Elementor. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very long-winded answer, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that's good. So working with the woman that did the voice for Tidiana, Sharon Gal, seemed like a really cool opportunity. Can you tell me how you found her and why you picked her as the voice? Actually, I didn't. That is all ah, my okay. composer, which is ah, right. de Maupier. And uh, in, in this piece, again, with con- time constraint, and also because I was rather stuck, in a way, sometimes to create a straightforward narrative, and I didn't want it to be so so tight by a narrative. I actually uh, asked my composer to create the soundtrack beforehand. And this was the second time we did this type of collaboration and um, I did a long idiotic silly description (laughs) you really should see them they sound almost autistic my description because they're terrible I just really describe every single emotion and I try to put possibly way too much into every single chapter and about every single step as I imagine the emotional journey she goes through and she started Mm -hmm. to record the sound and I give us a reference Meredith Monk um, and so she collaborated with uh, this um, artist, Sharon Gal, which is absolutely fantastic. And then you, that is the funny thing, because usually I'm probably a control freak, I would say, to say the least, <laughs> in terms of sound. And I send these really long emails, and all my collaborators, bless them, they're like really, really sweet about that. Because they never tell me, like, look, you know, <laughs> you should not really tell me bits by bits what to do. That is a bit too much. <laughs> but with her, this time I said, oh, okay, that's it. I really have to stop these tendencies. I'm just becoming too much into that. Just go and do it. You know who I am. You know what I like. You know the reference yeah. I like. I told you the journey. Just create it. And then so she created the full soundtrack, and then I animated to the soundtrack, including like the fantastic voice of Sharon Gall and another actor that he just did, the male counterpart. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I only met Sharon actually on the day of the screening, which was really, really lovely. She looks like a fantastic artist and I could not have been any more happier. But it's that kind of relationship you build over time with some collaborators. They, they know exactly what you would like. And, they, uh, and at the same time, they can completely surprise you. Okay. And, so that was the collaboration. So I actually, yeah, it's credited to, to Hacho de Mulfier that she found the, the, this fantastic artist for The Voice. So the sound came first and then the animation? Yeah. Okay, that's an interesting way of working. It must be quite nice to work that way. It's very freeing. <laughs> I like it. It is not like a music video, it is because it's like it's so no. much more nice. And we're doing sometimes as well other ways like that. I'm, I'm implementing that more in my work because, uh, I don't know, the more you work on your project, the more you kind of become narrow and really focused, which is really good, but sometimes you lose the playfulness and yeah. the space for others really to just give a much stronger input than maybe they wouldn't if it come, the film comes first. Yeah, I, I'm always rubbish with music. I always just give my films to someone that knows how to do music and just go, here, take it, because any idea I come up with will be terrible in comparison. Yeah, so. there's also that kind of um, 
Yeah, I've I've got the same feeling. I cannot play an instrument. I yeah. don't know anything about music. I always feel like I'm good. My goodness, I don't know how you even you do it. It's just absolutely fantastic. And I think it should be a meeting of two different arts. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's much, I find it much easier that way. I just don't think yeah. about it and then hope for the best. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so since the film was finished, it's uh, going around the world and doing the festival circuit. How have you found the reception to the film? And due to the subject matter of the film, do you feel like it's got into festivals that you wouldn't have necessarily got into before? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> It was quite it's quite sweet because of course it didn't get the, into some festival I usually get which are a little bit more family friendly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. Like oops not okay. And actually even with Film London, few of the images were cut out. Oh wow, okay. They felt it was a bit too strong. And I I mean I think it's credit to animation. You never really think you think it can reach that kind of depth where it just can become disturbing or people actually maybe don't expect it. That's yeah. all. <laughs> And uh, but actually, really can reach, and I can think of a lot of films uh, which they really do, it really does. Um, and it's quite nice because for some bizarre reason, this year around festival there is the trend of eroticism and love, and there is a lot of section with that. Yeah. So I actually, think... my film is starting wonderfully to end, and sometimes it just end up in the official selection because I think they don't know where to put it. Yeah, yeah. So so it just goes on this selection, and it must be that uh, it seems that. Uh, a lot of people around Europe lately are doing film about eroticism and love. <laughs> so they something are. is happening to us. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's a response to the political problems. <laughs> and then you look at the other side about love. Yeah, I maybe. Because <laughs> I think Annecy's just announced, hasn't it, that it's eroticism this year as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good time for us. <laughs> it is quite, I think, yes. Yeah, I don't know. It's something about strength because I think after 10 years doing animation, you suddenly... No, there are certain themes that you really never touch, which in live action, I think you would just pan across very easily. Mm. And I, I don't know, I think people just really say enough, you know. I mean, there are other themes we can explore that never get explored in animation. It's just really lovely. I mean, and that happens, you know. Like from the 17 onwards, there's a lot of examples which are fantastic. It's always nice when it happens, like, organically, when it comes from, like, a story that just happens to have a slightly yeah. sexual undertone or overtone or whatever. And then you have people like Sydney Bauman who make lots of films about the subject matter and that's like her theme. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in their cases, actually, absolutely her themes. I think it's nice, like, for example, I, I don't know if I would approach this theme that way, but it was uh, Tatiana and Bottom. It was quite obvious the full play is a little bit like a full game about love making so it just really come but there's that kind of strange undertone on the relationship that i really like to explore and yeah as i, as I mentioned in some of the blogs like the relationship with motherhood uh, it's, it's a quite a tricky one that play and it's actually hard to read and it's quite nice when you get to this work that uh, they're not straightforward that even the film is not actually an answer or a full interpretation it's more like actually a question or trying to understand it yeah because her whole relationship is quite interesting and kind of fraught with a lot of different subject matters that, you know, people don't really want to touch upon. But it's, you know, it's fantasy and it's a comedy and it's sh it's Shakespeare, so it's all kind of... It's OK. Like yeah. If you, if you apply enough history to anything, subject matters become OK. Um, yeah, it was also part of the research. Is I actually you started to look at it, it was like, 
Well, when when what was that? It's fine to trick your wife to make love with a donkey so that you can steal the child that she wants to adopt them. It's like okay, <laughs> so I'm not really sure how that works out on contemporary terms, and it's quite interesting. But then the donkey is so nice, it's so pretty. You know, the images are really lovely when you see them about this lovely fairy with a really funny donkey. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the contrast is very very nice and very playful. So thank you to Kim Noche from MuLab. You can see more about the film at loveandidlenessfilm.wordpress.com and to see more of what MuLab do, visit MuLab.com. Also the other film that they produced for that series, uh, Neck and Neck, you can find out some more about at neckandneckfilm.wordpress.com. And you can follow them on Twitter at MuTweets. And uh, while you're following people on Twitter, why not follow my good self at Ben Mitchell. Laura Beth is at LB Cowley. And Squiggly is at Squiggly. And of course, it's squiggly.com or.co.uk, whatever's your pleasure for the website. And yes, we're on Facebook as well Squiggly Magazine, Instagram at Squiggly Animation. I think that covers all of it, all the main points. So thank you again to Kim of MuLab. And we'll see you next episode. Ta ra. Bye bye.